Property Matters here on Dublin South FM. You can contact the show on Twitter, Facebook or LinkedIn at iProperty Radio or email the show at hello at iPropertyRadio.com. So today we're recording on International Women's Day. Um, so I'm delighted to have some really innovative women on the show with me today. And the theme for today is Choose to Challenge. Um, and as challenge seems to be a recurring theme on the show, we will make note of it today for International Women's Day. But uh, frankly, I think this industry has its challenges and that's plenty. Um, so your host for today is myself, Carol Tallon, and I'm delighted to be joined now by Mary Conway. And Mary is one of probably the most interesting people in property, and she's doing something pretty exciting at the moment. Um, so Janice Property. Mary, tell us, you're very welcome. Tell us about Janice Property. Um, thanks, Carol, for the invite. Um, as you said, my name is Mary Conway. And my company is Janice Estates, and there are a couple of aspects to my business. Um, I do the traditional sales, letting, and management. Um, but what I really uh, want to talk about is what's called um, senior move management and age in place or live in place. And this is working with older people uh, to decide where they want to live in the golden years. Very good. It, it seems really relevant now because we've been having conversations around um, people downsizing. And I, I don't know if you recall, but about two or three years ago, that conversation really got quite uh, controversial um, because what we saw was that people who'd been living in their own homes and con- contributing to their uh, communities for, in some cases, decades and in some cases for generations were essentially being told that they were almost a nuisance, that they were a problem, that they were, um, you know, taking up stock that somehow they ought not to be. And the language and the messaging around it from Mm. government and policymakers was just so poor. And the backlash was absolutely understandably uh, harsh. Um, But the reality is, you know, there are people who want to downsize, who maybe they, they find that their living situation now it's not right for them. And really, this has to be something that people come into with choice. So for those people who are choosing for a change of circumstances, how can you help them? Yes, and I'd like to kind of, um, that word uh, downsizing comes across as being quite negative and, and got was the word that was used in, in all that narrative. Um, and that was actually 2016. Um, so the ESRI and particularly Owen Corrigan have done quite a bit of work around that since. And um, out of 1,040 people surveyed, the biggest uh, number of people had an emotional attachment to their home. It wasn't really for financial reasons. And I would prefer to look at it as right-sizing your home. So there's two ways of doing this. And I suppose everything has changed with COVID as well, because Irish people are very much traditionally They like their back door, their front door, their garden. So unlike other countries, apartment living for older people isn't really something that they are comfortable with. So um, initially I was working really around the the downsizing as such. Um, I'm also now looking at what's called living in place. Um, And I'm the first uh, certified living in place professional uh, trained from the Living in Place Institute in Colorado. And the motto is that um, 
all homes are safe, healthy and comfortable. So I'm coming to this uh, with two hats, I suppose. Um, my background is a nurse. Um, I was a nurse for many, very many years and I was always interested in um, the environment that my patients went home to um, and whether it was a safe environment, if it was somebody who'd had, for example, a long reception, you know, did they have to climb stairs or was there a lift or what their bathroom facilities were like. And then I've been involved for proper, in property for 25 years. And a lot of, of what's going on at the moment is around, um, you know, first time buyers and getting on the ladder and, you know, older people living in big houses should move out to let them in. But, you know, it's not that simple. Um, somebody bought the house um, maybe as a newlywed 30, 40, 50 years ago, and there's 30, 40, 50 years of possessions. And where do you even start? So where I come in is I come in and I have the chat about what they want. And it could be that they want to stay in their own home. But, you know, the bathroom is upstairs or the bathroom is old or there isn't an accessible shower. And these are the discussions that should be taken um, before um, a traumatic event return, um, happens. And um, there's one lady I can think of. She was a widow uh, when she was 36. Um, her husband died a sudden death. And she was left with four small children and she moved around quite a bit. And in her 70s, she moved from a three story house. Um, she just turned 70. She was 88 at the weekend and she's living in a dormer bungalow in a new community. And she's brought me in because she said she's 88 and she doesn't want to leave a mess for her family behind to clear out the clutter and sort out the photographs and everything. And she's got her stair lift in for when she needs it. And really, she's done everything the right way. She's, she moved when she was 70 into a new community where she was able to become part of the community and get to know her neighbours. And she's grown old in that community. Um, and I think we had the conversation the other day, you know, old age is 15 years uh, ahead of what we think it is. So really, my whole thing is about planning now. And um, Mary... I'm, I, you know, this doesn't often happen to me on the show, but I'm so struck by what you're saying. I'm always interested in the people who, um, you know, have a lot of things going on that seem almost unrelated. And it's a little bit like Steve Jobs famously said in his iconic um, commencement speech about, you know, joining the dots, how you can only do that looking backwards. Mm. And um, you know, the fact that you have a background in nursing, you were nursing for 30 years, you know, obviously you have experience of helping people and, um, you know, you bring a level of empathy and maybe knowledge. And, and I'm just going to say it, you probably bring a le level of comfort to have these difficult conversations that a lot of property professionals wouldn't have. But coupled with that, I know you're you're a, an Airbnb super host and I know that um Actually, you were the first female committee member of the largest landlord organization in Ireland, the IPOA, who have you know been on the show with us previously. So you have this nursing background and all of the the skills um, and temperament that that brings in, as well as having this knowledge of property. So look, I, I think it's fair to say you're probably very uniquely qualified. I certainly haven't come across anybody in the industry in Ireland mm. doing what you're doing. 
And I love that you're actually helping to change the language as well, because you're right. Downsizing is Mm. what happens in a company when you lose your job as well. You know, it it does have lots of negative connotations, whereas I think right sizing is absolutely the language we need to be using. Living in place. I hadn't heard of that concept. Mm. Um, Is that common in Ireland? Can you just explain a little bit about that? Um, somebody could be living in a sitting room that has scatter rugs. It's got 10 years of newspapers in the corner because they haven't had the energy to take them out or clean them up. Um, the bathroom is inaccessible. Uh, in Ireland, our doors, I think, are 33 inches in old uh, measurement, whereas um, a wheelchair is 36. So even to get a wheelchair through can be impossible in a lot of older homes. And I'm not talking about major structural things or major, um, even just going in and looking at the coffee table. Are there there rough edges on it that somebody's going to bump their shins off and get a pressure sore um, down the line that's going to cause a leg ulcer that's going to cause them problems down the line? And above all, I suppose, I'm just a very practical person. Um, I just get stuck in, roll my, up my sleeves and see what needs to be done. Um, and there's one lady I'm working with at the moment. She lost her husband two years ago and then her son died um, quite suddenly. And she's just sold a very large home and she wants to downsize within her area. And the biggest challenge is getting a home for her. Um, that suits her needs. She wants a two-bed uh, townhouse in Dublin four. So what I've said to her, well, look, maybe we'd look at get, buying an older apartment and just going in, stripping it all out and get everything future-proofed for the rest of your life. And she's delighted with this idea that, you know, it's that she'll be going into something new that she has her stamp on. Um, But how close will she be to her previous home? Because we know that ideally you want to stay within like 500 metres of your home in order to sustain uh, your local, whether it's a church or community group or local butchers, your favourite restaurant, you know, all of these community services as well as friends, families, neighbours, you know, but but you're staying within your established community. In that particular case, is she staying close to her former home? Yeah, we we have yet to find something for her. We missed out on something that would have been perfect um, and was on the market for ages, but sold quite quickly. But we're going to look for something within the community because she still wants to worship at the same church and go to the same doctor and the same pharmacy. And these are the big, um, big worries for a lot of people that are moving. You know, can I still go and meet my friends? Can I still, you know, is there a bus nearby? And we haven't really, as a society, catered for this. Um, There's some um, housing bodies doing amazing work, um, like uh, Clon, which is the older section of Cluid and Tuha and some of the older, you know, of the other housing bodies. But, you know, developers don't see it as a priority because. Um, OK, but I, just because um, because we deal with developers, so I'm mm. privy to conversations and actually we're hearing this more and more about the need for not just mixed tenure housing, but um, whole of life housing. So something that yeah. would be, you know, intergenerational. And in fact, I, I there's definitely a growing awareness of the the community case for this, because yeah. actually people don't want to live in all in all of the, the same age and profile groups. So yeah. in the same way that we know mixed tenure is the yeah. ideal, we also know that intergenerational living 
is yes. probably the the key to success in urban quarters. Um, yes. And it, it, it's new enough in its consideration to Ireland. And yet, uh, without a label, that's exactly what one of the keys to the successful neighbourhoods that we know uh, in and around Dublin, those most popular neighbourhoods would be ones that have naturally, organically intergenerational living. So I, I, I do think the conversation is shifting. Um, so yeah. maybe the business case isn't there. Maybe the, the yes, I, argument doesn't stack up. Um, but, you know, I, I do believe there's a growing awareness there. You know, one of the things I was struck when I looked at uh, Janice Estates is um, you have the meaning of of the name on your website mm-hmm. and Janice is the Roman god of new beginnings, gates, mm-hmm. doorways and keys. And yeah. uh, Janice frequently symbolized change and transitions, you know, uh, uh, and progress from past to future. And I thought that was so perfect. You know, it's unusual you come across a business that is so perfectly named. Um, but look, I, I was really struck by the questions on your website aren't the usual questions that you would see on an estate agent's websites. Um so, for example, I was really surprised at how you tackle, you know, going into a home because you rightly pointed out it's not necessarily financial reasons keeping people where they are. Mm. You know, it's emotional and it's not just emotional mm. for the building, but for everything mm. within the building, because there's a whole life's contents within the yeah. building. How do you even start to sit down and help somebody work through that? Well, for a start, I'm a guest in their home and they have thought long and hard about bringing me in to have the chat. Um, And my client is always the person who's moving. It might be the son or daughter that has rang me and said, you need to go and talk to mum. She needs to sort the place out. She needs to go. And that is always a tense situation. Uh, When I get the call from the client, it's so much easier because you know that they're receptive and it takes as long as it takes. Um, we sit and we have a chat and, um, you know, it could be the very last thing we discuss is, you know, I need to move. Where do I start? So it's I think a lot of the time it's just the whole overwhelm of, you know, sometimes they know where they're going. They could be moving in with a family member to a smaller space or they want me to find somewhere for them to live. So they don't know what they can actually physically take yet. Or sometimes it's wonderful. I know exactly where they're going. And I look at a couch and say, no, that's too big. We need to go with something a little bit smaller. You know, do you want to go shopping? And we we look for something. Or, you know, there's 27 teapots then because they've collected teapots all their life. And, you know, we have to decide on two teapots and we can make a photo book with the rest, take or put them on a poster or do something to take them. And the family really should, you know, get in and and give some help as well, because um, an older person can be living with um, belongings from their 40 year old that's moved out 20 years ago. And, you know, their belongings are still in the room. So it's a case of getting everybody on board and saying, you know, can you sort out? your stuff um, and I suppose I'd always leave somebody with a small job to do like a drawer to start with and um, everybody has an odds and ends drawer start with that and even the feeling of accomplishing that now you know we're also dealing with somebody who might be in pain who might have an underlying medical condition um, and are overwhelmed by the whole process and I am distinct from a declutterer in 
that a declosure will come into your house and they'll work through the day until it's done. I can work for three or four hours with somebody because that's all the attention span they have. And, you know, they're picking up something that to me looks like, you know, an old mug or whatever, but there's attachment to it. So I have to be firm and, you know, work through the attachment, listen to the stories, listen to the memories, but, you know, not got get bogged down in, in one possession to mo- keep everything moving. Yeah. What what needs to be done? Like what policies do you think? Because, you know, we started this interview by talking about, um, you know, maybe some messaging from policymakers a number of years ago that was just so unhelpful that, yeah. you know, I'd imagine even the current administration are, are nervous about even raising, uh, broaching the, this topic. And yet it's something that people need. On the policy side, what would you like to see happen? What do you think is needed for the people that you're dealing with? Well, for a start, I think we need to look at our housing um, and our housing needs and about developing communities within a community. Uh, We need to simplify the process as much as as possible. Uh, People worry about, um, you know, are they going to have stamp duty on their property? Um, You know, are they going to pay capital gains tax? Um, Things that there can be things that we never even think about. Um, you know, maintenance fees on a garden or, a, you know, in an apartment complex, are they going to be able to afford those? You know, um, there really aren't very many rental options if somebody wanted to sell their home and move to uh, rent a premises, you know, rent an apartment or whatever to see if they'd like apartment living. Um, and not too many landlords are keen on taking an older person because, you know, are they going to have security of tenure forever? And am I going to be able to put rents up? And so I suppose there really needs to be kind of designated age-friendly housing in the private sector. Um, it's catered very well uh, for with the associated housing bodies, but not so much in the private centre sector. Oh, that yeah, that's an interesting one. All right, um, I suppose I hadn't considered um, maybe the rental. You know, you assume that the rental market. Uh, whether you're looking at the social housing or whether you're looking at private rental, you just assume that it's open to everybody equally. And sure, of course, we know in in real terms that's not the case. That landlords have their their preferred tenant, the their mm. persona that they see um, in the property for whatever reasons. Um, so, look, that that's a really interesting one. Uh, Mary, that's all we've time for today, but I am genuinely thrilled to hear about what you're doing. Um, like I said, I don't know anybody else in the Irish marketplace who's doing it. Um, but also, I, I think that um, it, it's great that you have this background in nursing, that you have all of these skills uh, and, of course, fully licensed um, sales and letting agent. Um, but I also feel that this is an, a service that a lot of estate agents wouldn't feel so comfortable um in getting involved and so from that point of view I think it's a really important one and I wish you the very best of luck with it thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today that was Mary Conway Janice Estates we need to take a quick break now stay tuned 93.9 Dublin South FM and welcome back to Property Matters on Dublin South FM with myself Carol Tallon you can contact us on Twitter at iPropertyRadio or email hello at iPropertyRadio.com now I'm joined by Anne-Louise Hannan a well known a well known face to many I'm sure for former commercial property consultant and now personal styling and image consultant with Style Elevate. 
And Louise, that's a very long description. <laughs> it is. Carol. You're very welcome. Thank you're, you you're so very much welcome. for having me. I'm delighted to be uh, here. I'm delighted you were able to join us. As I mentioned, you're a very well-known name uh, across commercial property and indeed um, agency work in Dublin. But yeah. you've had something of a pivot. This has been an interesting year for many, but you've certainly turned it into a very interesting year. So, um, well, look, first of all, we might just position this by saying that, of course, you used to work with CBRE in the office, um, the office side of things, and you had been well known there. It, this seems like a fascinating time for the office uh, and the future of the office. Where do you stand on that debate? Yeah, no, th- thanks, Carol. Um, so the last the last seven years I've been work, I was working in CBRE. So um, definitely, I think COVID has given us all a time to kind of sit back and, and consider our next steps. So that certainly happened in my case. And um, what was born out of it was a new business. So Style Elevate. Um, but most certainly in the offices, I mean, I definitely would miss the office environment myself. Um, but there's there's still real value in, to be had in the office. I mean, in terms of collaboration and, and creativity, um, I think it's definitely been lost over the last little while. And obviously we can still continue on thanks to technology, but you certainly you certainly do miss it. Um, and look, I don't think our homes were never meant to be our offices in most cases, um, but undoubtedly I think flexible working will change going forward. And I certainly see there being a hybrid approach um, but just from, you know, my my colleagues, um, my ex-colleagues in the industry and indeed friends have said there's there's definitely been a pickup in momentum over the last number of weeks anyway, which is a good sign. Yeah, absolutely. I think the point about um, coming together for collaboration and creativity, that's something we've really just realised ourselves within Property District over the last number of months that, you know, I, I was saying, or even really we've realised in the last couple of weeks, productivity is way up, creativity has not increased at the same level at all. And, you know, again, we're, we're you know, we're human and we need that human interaction. Um, you know, so I, I, and I think the office will become the place of that. Maybe not for deep work, but certainly for any collaborative work like that. I and, um, think so, yeah. Um, and Louise, I mentioned at the start here that, you know, it's been a really interesting year for everybody, irrespective of the sector that you're in. But you've really taken some bold decisions this year. Talk to us about Style Elevate. I have. Yeah, Carl. I mean, it's something I always kind of wanted to explore my creative potential. And I think that's something, as I just kind of said at the start, that it was sitting with me for a while and kind of, you know, having the courage to to kind of do something a little bit different. I've certainly pivoted from property, although, um, you know, I'd still like to kind of seek out opportunities within within the property industry still. Um, But most certainly, I wanted to follow through on a dream of mine, which was to own my own business. And so I'm delighted with how things have gone. It's it's set up um, since November. So it started out as an online business. And thankfully, all of my services can be um, held online through Zoom. So it's 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 done quite well now, I have to say, and it's great to still have the connections within the property industry as well. So it is um it's a business focused towards women. So the whole idea of to elevate is really kind of to elevate and empower women um 
to really kind of dress for themselves. And I think from working in the property industry over the last 10 years, um, I, I sort of noticed kind of my throughout the years a, a little bit of a disconnect with some women and kind of their personality matched with the clothes that they chose to wear. Um, I think, you know, we were just even having a conversation about us both wearing red. Um, I certainly think that, you know, colour psychology has proven that it can really um, empower us and it be can be quite powerful in certain situations and certain environments. So um, I certainly challenge my clients um, to test out and we try out new colours um, on them. But it's certainly it's something that I've been passionate about for years. And I, I really think it's it's lovely to see when you see someone's personality and character come through. And um, as you know, property is still quite a, a male dominated industry. And they, that has changed throughout my, my career um, over the last 10 years. But it is great to see younger women coming through. And I think personal branding is is something that we can all still work at. Um, it comes more natural to others. But I certainly think um, through clothes, um, we can definitely make a stronger impact with with our with our personal branding. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree with you. And I, I'm definitely somebody who doesn't know much about fashion, but also doesn't think a lot about fashion. So, you know, yeah. I, I, from the time I left college, you know, my, yeah. my background was in law and I wore a dark trouser suit. I channel my <laughs> my uh, inner Hillary Clinton, but dark trouser suit, white shirts every day, same yes. day or same thing for years. And when I when I started out my own business, which is 15, 16 years ago, I swore I wouldn't do that. And I no. tried to make an effort for maybe a couple of weeks or months, got bored and then ended back in the very same suit. Same thing. I know. And it was actually you and I were talking about color psychology and I always wear black white or gray in work or blue if I'm on stage and uh, because I knew I was talking to you today I picked the only thing that wasn't (laughs) black or white or gray in my wardrobe and I we log on and we're wearing almost the same thing (laughs) yeah (laughs) which I I think goes to show my lack of imagination that that was all that was all I could do but one of the things that you said to me that really struck me I'm I'm fascinated by the concept of personal branding now yeah but only because I found myself in a position where I was writing books and doing tv work and radio and I had no concept of what a personal brand was. Yeah. And one of the things that I really realized um, was that if you don't, uh, just because you don't shape or make any effort uh, to to pull together a cohesive personal brand doesn't mean you don't have one because actually everybody has a brand. It's what you're presenting to the world. Um, But the problem is if you're not crafting it, then uh, it is it is open to interpretation by anybody. Um, and I think that's that's something that, you know, I'm I'm 20 plus years into my career. But for people just coming out of university and, and going into the workplace now, I think uh, the need for personal branding certainly appears to be much higher than it might have been 20 years ago. Is that a fair is that a fair assessment? I, I definitely think so, Carol. And I think some I think it comes more natural to others. I mean, I think I've I was always acutely aware of it um throughout my time and property. And I I, I don't know, it was something that my dad had said to me years ago saying that your personal brand is really your trademark. And when you leave a room, what do you want people to 
to say about you. And I think I think that's stuck with me throughout. And I, I think that's why I think there is a great importance and to place, you know, there, there is an importance of it, even, even amongst organisations, you know, to take the young graduates through that. Um, and, you know, it, it does come down to the, the individual, absolutely. And, you know, like I said, it is probably comes with age and a bit of confidence building as well. But I certainly think, I mean, there is kind of psychologists call it pin slicing, um, where unfortunately, you know, through the first seven seconds of meeting someone, um, they will, I suppose, have, you know, an idea of who you are as a person, which seems very unfair. But unfortunately, we don't like to talk about it. But appearance does play a big, huge part in that. And, you know, that's what I'm trying to do with clients you know, you mentioned there, Carol, that, you know, you're busy and you don't really think about what you're wearing, but it is really to bring more awareness to that. And even in certain settings, like we are today wearing kind of a bold color, um, but knowing your audience, I mean, you're you're certainly not, um, you know, going to wear more of a relaxed look, um, you know, going into maybe meet solicitors, for instance. So depending on the organization, I think we can all kind of maybe focus a little bit more on on our presentation and even I do work with corporates at the moment and we do sessions called grooming for zooming and so it's a little bit catchy but it's more and the focus and the emphasis is on kind of your top half of your body and so again that's playing on the color psychology but just little style cues that people can take on board I mean the whole idea of kind of you know fashion and styling it's certainly not that you have to be on top of the latest fashion trends. It really isn't. What I try to do and working one-to-one with clients, I can achieve this. And thankfully the feedback has been great. It's really to draw in on, on their likes. What do they like to wear and how do they like to feel when they wear certain clothes? And um, so I think that's something that's key and really plays on authenticity as well, uh, which again feeds back to your personal brand. Yeah, I I love when you're talking about personal branding that you bring authenticity into it because I think maybe some of the early work around personal brand mightn't have highlighted that so much. And the reality is uh, you still have to be yourself. You have to be true to yourself. That authenticity, you know, it's become a bit of a cliche uh, to say it, but actually you have to be yourself. Um, It's too exhausting trying trying to be something or someone else. So I think that's a really key integral part of it. Um, But this grooming for Zooming, I love that. Is that for men? Is that for men and women? Yeah. So a lot of the corporates that I'm working with, um, obviously I cater to a diverse audience. So I will tailor any of my uh, corporate events that I am doing. They usually take an hour long, kind of a lunch and learn um, type setting, but they are um, tailored and, and can be obviously to, to a male audience. And what I will say is I, I while my business is focused and, and kind of centered more towards women, um, I have been approached as well um, to style men. So just if there's any, any men watching that thing that it is just, yeah well, um, we, yeah <laughs> is it is it more difficult because what I'm seeing is that you know I think women have evolved out of maybe you know I, I might have been a decade behind the trend but women have evolved out of suits in the workplace over the past uh more than 10 years like I said I'm very behind the curve on that but I think it's much more difficult. Is it fair to say, is it more difficult for men to get that balance of smart, casual, understanding the workplace 
Um, I, I, of course, I presume it depends on the workplace and the type of workplace that you're in, whether it's a, a tech company or a legal firm. But is it more difficult for men to get that balance of smart casual right? It can be. And I mean, you know, I, I, I have friends of mine that are that are males in the industry and, you know, it is that kind of like, do I wear runners? Do I, you know, what t- are jeans appropriate? And the summertime is always a funny time as well, because naturally it's, there's warmer weather and, you know, what is kind of appropriate. So, yeah, you'd be right to say, I think for women, we probably find it a little bit easier with the smart casual look. Um, so with with men, um, actually with sizing with men, men are quite good in that, in that their clothes that they probably buy online, they know what they like, they know what they don't like. So whereas sometimes with women, particularly with some designer clothes, and the sizing can be a little bit off. So I think what we're finding at the moment and, and working with clients is it's a bit of trial and error. And that can be frustrating. Whereas normally if we were in the shops, kind of you'd be able to feel a garment or, or know more about the fabric. So actually um, for men at the moment, I think it's a lot easier to style. Um, but again, it totally comes back to the organization like you touched on, Carol. And that's what if people are going for interviews, um, I would normally ask them a little bit about who, you know, what, what type of organization and what the ask is from the organization. And I think, again, that comes down to back to kind of your personal branding is not to kind of deviate too much too far away from that obviously stay within stay true to yourself but also um if if we're in kind of a legal setting obviously maybe more tailored suits um might have to be worn so yeah I definitely would kind of caveat that that it's well actually probably going forward now just the way we are working and probably more hybrid approach as we discussed um there might be more of a relaxed kind of um, office, you know, attire really. Yeah, you could, there's a definite sense of things changing. Um, but we're having this conversation on International Women's Day, yes. which, which is great. I, yeah. I love that. Uh, but it's, you know, we're not just having this conversation because it's International Women's Day, but it's it's great the way it fell. Uh, you're, you're coming from um, an early stage career where even without you and I ever having needing to have a conversation about it, I know because I, I know the women you've been surrounded by, you've absolutely been surrounded by some of the powerhouse women um, within this industry. So, um, you know, I, I wonder you know, maybe maybe it's different coming from the career that you've had, where you've had, where you've seen women in leadership positions, strong, um, uh, influential in the industry, and you know, exceptionally good at their job, and have risen to very senior your ranks and are very respected within the industry. Um, do you think that's representative of? the planning construction and well, maybe not so much construction, but certainly the, the real estate um, industries in Ireland. Yeah, I, I do, Carol. And it's, again, something that I've been hugely passionate about. You know, I've, I've sat on kind of diversity boards and, um, you know, the, the day that's in it, talking about gender equality, I think there can be more done. Um, and I think definitely as, as industry leaders, um, we need more female representation, particularly at board level. But no, thankfully, I have had really strong powerhouses, powerhouse women, as you alluded to, um, kind of championing me really throughout my career in property. And but what I will say is also I've had very strong male, um, you know, I suppose mentors 
the whole way up as well. And I think that's worth mentioning. Um, you know, it's definitely, it's, it's a day for, you know, to celebrate women. Um, but also I think if, if we can work more cohesively, you know, there won't be um, us versus them conversations happening. So I think that's really important. And it is really actually about opening up conversations and leaning in maybe towards, you know, male figures or, or male bosses um, throughout our careers. Um, I think that's probably really important to say as well. Um, but mostly, yeah. yeah, I've had nothing but good experiences uh, throughout my 10 years. I'm delighted. To, I, I will. Obviously, I'm delighted to hear that, but I'm particularly delighted to hear you talk about the importance of mentoring from both male and female, because I think, yeah. you know, if if we don't position it like that, then not only are we excluding um, men from the conversation, but we're kind of excusing them from the conversation as well. And that doesn't help the industry. So I think, um, it, it, you know, it's really important that we look at this holistically. You know, really? it, it's not enough to look at the figures and say there are X number of men, X number of women. For me, I'm always interested in who's who's kind of at board level who's making the decisions you know I, I think that's where we're getting the test and there's a there's still a decade of growing into that 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 needs to happen and it might feel frustratingly slow but I, I for me it's important that um from a from a board level point of view and certainly from the decision making point of view that things are changed but in a way that almost brings us full circle back into the whole thing about personal brand and how you champion yourself throughout your your career. Uh, just, I suppose, before we finish up, is there a difference, do you see, uh, with maybe young surveyors entering, entering into the industry now, um, between males and females, is there a difference between the ones who might uh, actually prioritise personal branding or um, perhaps seem to be particularly good at it? Maybe it comes more naturally to either men or women? Yeah, I, I think it's something we all have to try better at. And, you know, so it's even going through your kind of KPIs nearly every month, I think we used to have them and really kind of honing in on that and, you know, putting it down as something that we all need to work on. But networking, unfortunately, probably haven't been doing as network as much networking as we would have liked during this time, kind of during the past year, really. But networking, um, you know, it's it's still something that, you know, should be within everyone's kind of even just getting out for coffee coffees during the week that was always kind of cemented um you know in me working in CBRE was that you know you need to get out and start meeting your peers and I think that will really stand to you um and definitely just you know having the confidence I suppose to speak out and I think you know given the day that we're in it International Women's Day as well just having a voice and being visible you know um I think that's you know it definitely does come more natural to others but I think pushing ourselves and just making sure that I suppose we're getting, you know, a, a name for ourselves out there is, is really key, just even at graduate surveyor level. Um, but I like I, I know there's there's more happening in the background, like you said, like with the SESI, the mentorship program that's happening. And um, so there is being done, there's a lot of work being done behind the scenes. And I really hope to see that continue because um, it's certainly an industry that for both male and female, um, you know, having both perspectives, particularly you know, in, in pitch-like settings um, and winning business settings it is really crucial going forward and on, on board level, like you just mentioned, yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I think it's wonderful that we're starting to see people in this holistic way and, and you know, trying to bring out the wholeness of, of people. I think that can only be a good thing. Uh, thank you so much. 
Uh, no, that was great. Thank you so much for joining us. That was Anne-Louise Hannon, former uh, commercial property consultant and now personal styling and image consultant with Style Elevate. Uh, Anne-Louise, before we finish up, what's your website? The new website. Yeah, my website is www.styleelevate.ie. And if, if anyone wants to reach out, they can just uh, email me at info at We'll be back after a quick break. Stay tuned. 93.9 Dublin South FM And welcome back to Property Matters on Dublin South FM with myself, Carol Tallon. You can contact us on Twitter at iPropertyRadio or email hello at iPropertyRadio.com um, My third guest for this week is one I'm particularly excited about um, that she's joining us. It's Brony Wilson, Equium Regional Head of the UK and Ireland. Brony, you're very welcome. Hi, lovely to, lovely to see you. Thank you for having me on the show. Uh, well, I'm surprised it's taken this long, but we have had some of your colleagues. Uh, we have had some of your colleagues join us over the last year or two. So I'm delighted you, you're in a position to join us today. Um, look, many people through um, through our conversations about PropTech, as well as interviewing some of your colleagues, will be familiar with Equium. But you might just want to give people a bit of a background as to what the company does. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, my accent probably gives it away that we're actually founded in Australia. So I'm I'm based in London. Um, I came over here about three years ago to open our first international office. Um, and shortly after, we also expanded to um, the US and we have a, a offices on the East and West Coast. Um, so Equium is at its core a tenant experience platform provider. Uh, we launched uh, almost nine, maybe more than nine years ago now, actually, in Australia, and it was really the brainchild of um, Lorenz Grollo and our, our CEO, uh, Gab McMillan. Um, and Lorenz is a third-generation property developer in Australia. And at the time, um, you know, they were looking at a... Um, a regeneration project for a building that he co-owns, which was nearing about 25 years old at the time. Um, there's probably about 4,500 people work in the building. Um, and before they committed to going in and doing this redevelopment, um, they really wanted some data on who were the occupiers in the building and not just the, the companies, but who were the individuals who worked in this building um, and what did they want? Uh, what was going to keep people stickier uh, to the site? What sort of retail would suit their day-to-day that they would they would support? And, and all of that data that just at that point wasn't available to landlords at all. Um, and so this idea formed for Lorenz of, you know, leveraging technology in the property industry, which was really in its infant stage then, and the term prop tech wasn't even being thrown around. Um, so it was about getting closer to the customer, leveraging the data that was available, and then making investment decisions for his assets, um, really based on what what his customer wanted, and thinking more broadly of customer as you know everybody that used that space, and not just the the tenants in the building, but retailers and service providers and visitors who were coming into that space to to dine and shop um and yeah. so that was really but, where we started very good um the whole concept of tenant experience you know certainly I've been in this industry for more than a decade and a half and a decade ago tenant experience meant it wasn't really a term that was used so much but it you know I, I think that it shaped up in different ways whereas mm-hmm. um I think reimagining who the the tenant is as opposed to yeah. you know 
the staff within the occupying business. Um, that that was probably very forward thinking. And it, it occurs to me, of course, that some of that da- data would obviously have been available. It was just never pulled together. So in terms of getting started, you know, how do you start where there, where the data hasn't been collected previously? And obviously a lot has changed in the last nine years. But, you know, even to get started, how how did all of that early stage data come together? Yeah, so early on, I mean, we built out, we've got a really sophisticated data and analytics platform. So we've been collecting data on users' um, actions and preferences, um, you know, since we since we launched nine years ago. But that has evolved massively, um, particularly in the last few years. We've We've really invested heavily in building out an analytics platform that can show not just us, but our customers who use our technology. They have their own dashboard and they can see everything that their users do in anonymized data. So what time do they open newsletters? What content are they reading? Are they going to events? What sort of events are they attending? How many maintenance requests are, are coming through the building? And, you know, are they more air conditioning? Are they cleaning? Um, and so not just surfacing that data, but helping our customers to really create insights um, from that data that they can use in, in making decisions. Um, one of the most recent things we've done is built out um, a leasing dashboard within our analytics platform that allows our customers to upload uh, their lease expiry data, and then they can overlap that with their tenant experience data. And so from that, you start to get a picture of who's in my building, when are their lease expiries, and how happy are they in the building, and then creating a tenant experience platform, uh, engagement plan that sort of, you know, is, is based on that data. And is that all automated? Yeah, yep. Okay, so just in terms, because, you know, one of the things that we try to do here is uh, we talk about data a lot. And what we realize is that actually um, it helps if people understand what that data is. So, you know, you talked about maybe understanding the actions of people, you know, when they go into the workplace, um, you know, and it can be as simple as, you know, what route do they take to get to a certain place? But how much does does that kind of information impact on investment decisions? Yeah, that's a really great question, actually, because, um, you know, so often we have, you know, as you said, millions of data points at our fingertips, but are we using them to make decisions? Um, And one of the things that we really help our customers to do is when we first start working together, we define what their objectives are, you know, And then through there, we help them to create campaigns that feed into those objectives. So if we're looking at, you know, in a year's time, um, they'll be doing redevelopment with, you know, the lobby area, then what we may do is help them collect data about what sort of food options are people most interested in. If we're looking at food and beverage retail, what's the price point that people want to spend? And make sure they're bringing in, you know, retail that's actually going to be suitable for their building. Um, Other things we'll do is work with them on understanding the kind of services and amenities that are required. Um, Are there enough, you know, wellbeing providers in the area if there's not can we help them build into their their development plans to bring in some space that you could use for yoga or boot camp or any of those things? 
um, and, and helping them essentially to mine that data for, for the stuff that's going to be useful for their own strategic plans. Yeah, you know, one of the things that really occurs to me, um, we, we've seen um, a, a huge increase in the number of IoT sensors going into smart buildings. So therefore, yeah. we're collecting information, the type that maybe wasn't collected before or wasn't uh, maybe it, it wasn't a priority. Some of these kind of non-sexy topics that suddenly are very, very important, like indoor air quality, you know, again, that that has been collected for a, a number of years, but suddenly only in the context of COVID-19, that's become important. You know, similarly, um, you know, talking about how HVAC systems operate, you know, air exchanges, how frequent they are. You know, these are the conversations um, that have been highlighted during COVID-19, um, but they're conversations that were starting to grow in importance um, in, in light of, of sustainability measures and initiatives that were taken. But over the last year, the data that's been collected, how representative um, of, I suppose, reality is that with people working in such artificial conditions, even those who are in workplaces? Yeah. Look, I think, the, you know, the customers that we're working with here um, are probably the more um you know, further along in this journey. Um, but still, as you say, a lot of this stuff is very early stages. So we're seeing, you know, our customers at the stage where they've, they've input sensors and they're starting to look at that data and starting to understand it. But as you say, nothing that's happened in the last 12 months is, you know, benchmarkable, right? Um, and so I think we're really at the start of, of that journey. And certainly what we're seeing is landlords say, we want to know that your platform will integrate with everything else. We want to know that we can install these sensors and we can pull the data in, but we don't yet know what we want to see with this data or what we're going to do with it. Are we going to open these dashboards up to our occupiers? Um, you know, are we going to keep this as a tool for ourselves? And a lot of it the, at the moment is um, just really understanding that stuff, understanding the technology, making sure it works and, um, you know, just making yeah. a start on it. Absolutely. And I, I understand that Equium is working across a number of different markets. So I, I'm sure there's a difference there. So, for example, in the US, I was reading about how, um, you know, even actually prior to the outbreak of COVID, you know, we were learning about how the energy performance of a building going back a certain number of years would be required, um, would be required to be disclosed for any lease negotiations. Um, we're not there yet in Ireland or the UK, but yeah. that's something that um, maybe will become best practice before it becomes a statutory requirement. Um, you know, how how much of a difference is there across the sectors that are the different geographical markets that you're working across? Uh, absolutely huge. When um, I spent a lot of time in Australia working in property management before I started with Equium. Um, and one of the things that really struck me when I came to the UK was how far behind Australia we are here you know in Australia many many years ago we introduced mandatory disclosure for um, energy rating and 
Um, you know, if you're leasing space, you'll give your water rating, your energy, your indoor air quality, um, and all of this stuff would be publicly available information um, and some of it mandated. And when I came here, I was just really shocked that it, it wasn't the same. And I know uh, Neighbours, which is the rating system they use in Australia, is actually um, becoming involved with, you know, setting some of this stuff up in the UK. Um, and I'd say, you know, the UK and the US, um, for some areas the UK is ahead and, and for some the US is ahead, but they're, they're more or less, um, you know, on the same path, I think. Uh, this might be an unfair question to ask, but I'm just curious. Uh, Ec- from Equim's point of view, with the innovative work that you're, you're, that you're offering to the industry, is it better for you to go into an industry like Ireland in the UK that is a little bit behind? Is there more potential there or or is the the fight to get people to understand the need for this too great? Oh, that's such a great question. Um, it is uh, uh, neither better or, or worse, really. I think, you know, it helps us when there's an understanding in the industry about why uh, you would launch a platform like ours and, and what the value is. Um, but you've got, you know, this period before there's that awakening when there's not a lot of competition and now everybody's saying, right, we need to do this. We know we need a platform and an app for our building. We know we need to integrate, um, which is fantastic. But then the market's also more competitive now. Um, yeah, you know, w- one thing I, I remember hearing you know, decades ago uh, about competition, um, when somebody was trying to to point out the importance of competition in a marketplace, it was like, well, if you've no competition, you can't be number one. Yeah. And actually that really <laughs> stuck with me. I love it. I love it. We're yeah. using the marketing. Uh, um, yeah, but I think yeah, it's, no, but- it's a fantastic time um, for prop tech providers now, I think. Um, we were just talking about in a sales meeting we had internally on Friday that when our sales team make first contact um, with customers, the answer now is never we don't see the value in that. The answer is we've just started this journey where we're gearing up to do an RFP or, yes, we're interested in Mm. talking or we know that's something we need to do but our hands are full with other projects. Um, But it's never we don't see the value in tenant experience, which is a really, really exciting place to be. Yeah, no, it's amazing actually to see how that conversation has shifted in recent years. Um, I suppose before we finish up, one of the things that, you know, again, I'm curious about because I'm I'm assuming that you have uh, you've better better data in terms of insights to understand the requirements of people returning to the workplace, because there's such a conversation going on and it's very opinion driven. Mm. Have you any insights um, that you can point to that really teach us something about how people are feeling about returning to the workplaces in terms of their safety? Yeah, look, I think it's very interesting. So we did a global um, data gathering and um, we used polls and surveys for all our users and we did that early on with lockdown and we did it again a couple of months ago as as things have really shifted. Um, And it, it was very interesting to me, particularly in the UK, initially the question about 
when do you think you'll go back to the office and what needs to happen for you to feel comfortable? That was all around safety. There was a lot of um, feedback about, you know, temperature testing and cleaning processes and being able to book arrival and, and how well social distancing was um, being managed in the building. And that really changed even before we, we were doing kind of mass vaccine rollout. We saw this shift where um, people's requirement to come back in was more about their own situation. Um, you know, people tossing up how much time they were spending commuting now um, and what sort of services and amenities their building had. Could they do their, you know, gym workouts in the office? Were restaurants going to be open? Um, and it was a lot more about that stuff than it was, you know, is there going to be social distancing in place? That's interesting to hear that moving on because, you know, again, certainly in Ireland, we're still um, in a stage of level five lockdown and we have been since just after Christmas. Um, so there hasn't been any return to the workplace in 2021 at all. And it's certainly um, more protracted than most yeah. um, building owners or occupiers or employers would have would have thought. Um, and also we're looking at it being pushed out until after Easter and possibly longer. So I think it's it's really important for employers to have a good handle on how their individual team members are feeling about returning to the workplace. And, you know, that's one thing that we're starting to see more um, team team um, teams being asked their opinion and being surveyed, yeah. but in a way, maybe not just given three or four questions based on safety, because actually what we're seeing, much like you've said there, is a complete change in priorities, you know, and it might be more around how can they access the office without using public transport um, or, or other yeah. considerations? What's open in and around the workplace? Um, is it going to be phased working or will, you know, how how will existing facilities be shared um, on a phased basis? And to me, it seems almost too early to try solve some of those problems um, in Ireland. But I presume, again, you're dealing with marketplaces that are a little bit further ahead. Have there been any key learnings that, that you know, we, we should be taking on board in Ireland and the UK? Oh, that's a hard question. Um, I, there's nothing really that, that springs to mind. I think, you know, our journey here has been quite similar um, to Ireland in that, you know, it got better for a while and then it got worse and, you know, we've had, I think this is our third lockdown and like you, it's 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 quite extended. Um, you know, I think the biggest takeaway from all the data that we've looked at and, and the feedback we've had from, you know, the occupier and the individual is that these choices of coming back to work now are driven by the individual, as you say. And so that landlords have to stop thinking about what that customer, you know, the occupier um, says and does and more about what the individual wants and needs and what's going to drive them back to the office. So I think, you know, regardless of the fact that we're still in lockdown, the sooner landlords are looking at their offering um, and, and thinking, is this enough to attract individuals back in, um, the sooner they're going to have buildings full again. Yeah. And um, Brony, thank you so much. I, again, it, it feels almost too early to be having that conversation, but yet we do need to be starting to make preparations and things like that. But um, it is certainly a movable feast 
at this stage. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I absolutely, I, I absolutely appreciate you joining us today and sharing those insights. And again, you know, I, I feel it's really incumbent on us to learn from some of the markets that are a little bit further ahead, even in terms of successfully navigating the return to the workplace. We want to learn as much as we can about what's worked and what hasn't worked and try integrate that here in Ireland and the UK. So I genuinely appreciate your time today. Uh, that was Brony Wilson, regional head. Thank you. Regional head of um, Ireland and the UK at Equium. That's it from us today. Thank you for listening into Property Matters on Dublin South FM. Uh, again, you can get in touch with the show on social media at iPropertyRadio or by emailing hello at iPropertyRadio.com. As also, my thanks to Peter Rice on sound. Um, and uh, as mentioned last week, our producer Katie has moved on and we'll be introducing new producer Keen over the coming weeks. Uh, but that's it from us today. We're back at the same time next week. For myself, Carol Tallon and all the team here, stay safe.